journeys to God knows where. This spiritual relationship we have with Christ is about walking with him and following him, and we don't know where it goes. It's a radical adventure, this thing. Journeys to God knows where. In the last week, I started a two-part series called uh, uh, Spiritually Thick Skin. And the thesis for this last week and this week is that the journey will always include major and minor spiritual attack and temptation. The journey is going to always include major and minor attack and temptation. This is a spiritual journey we're in, and we're going to have spiritual attack. And we spent last week, and if you didn't get it, I'm really going to want to be tempted to re-preach it. I'm really going to want to be tempted to, to, to put everything I'm saying today in a context for you, and I'm going to not do that so that I don't go an hour. I, 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 I really want you to go on iTunes and get it, or go on our website and download it, or watch the video. I want you to see this last week's sermon, because we talked about this reality that we're at war spiritually, that there is an enemy who's trying to take us out. And this week I want to talk more about how to fight that spiritual journey. This requires spiritually thick skin. And we want it to be this journey to God knows where. We want it to be a road trip. Well, what do you want to do today? We want it to be this delightful little go to, you know, to be able to go to uh, IHOP in the morning. And what do you want to do? And what adventures will we find in our little air-conditioned car? No. This is a war that we're in. And there's an enemy trying to take us out of our life and our calling and our ministry and our marriages and our dignity and even life itself. And so we're at, bat- we're at battle. And we want to talk about that more. The text in, is uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness from Matthew 4. If you have it and want to look at it in your Bible, if you have a Bible, that'd be great. Let me read the Here's the word of the Lord, friends. Matthew 4. Starting in verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And thus begins here after Jesus being led into the desert by God. Four time of temptation and testing. Three different temptations that we're going to parse this morning. But finishing the text, the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to the high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the whole review I'm going to do for, from last week, and that is the last week we just said you know, some first observations about what is going on here. And as they all come out of that first phrase, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into a time of temptation, that God somehow has a plan and a 
and, and, and my first point last week was apparently it's okay with God, and okay is used tongue-in-cheek there, but apparently it's part of God's sovereignty with this idea that we would be led into times of need and hunger, and therefore then temptation and attack, subject to being able to be attacked by the evil one who wants to take us out of our ministry. That God has something that he can accomplish with that. Because, and here's part of it, that testing and tempting are two sides of the same coin. Tempting is when the enemy wants to tempt us to do something evil, and against God, but testing is where God comes and says, I want to test the quality of your heart and your metal to show you and to show to the, the world around you what you're really made out of so that then you can grow and be a, a light and, a, and a, a servant to the world. And this is all part of last week's sermon, so I know there's a lot of words, but you can go back and see. So apparently God, while the devil, the devil may be tempting us, God uses it to test us. And in third point, God uses and brings good out of the adversary's evil motives. He intended it for evil, but God intends it for good. And so that's part of why God's okay with this thing, is that his good comes out of it, his glory comes out of it. And whatever the source, it ends up revealing and or developing character. I mean, we, we don't know. I got in a car accident this morning on the way here. What Did the devil steer my car into that lady? Did God still, I, I don't know. And most of the time, friends, you're not going to be able to figure that deal out. But in the end, God's going to use it to reveal my character. <laughs> because my children will mock me mercilessly from now on. Yesterday, we were mocking my children for all of their foibles in the car. God will use it to reveal, and he'll use it to develop me, right? So whatever the source, that's going to happen. That's all last week. What I want to learn this, this morning is I want to learn from, from how Jesus resisted spiritual attack. What did Jesus do in this text when God said, go into the desert, go to a place of hungry, go to a place of need, go to a place of vulnerability, and I want you to be tested by the, tempted by the devil, and, it's a, and, it's, and I'm going to use it for my glory and for your good. This is what God said to go do. So let's go learn how he fought that spiritual attack and what happened. You ready to do that? We're going to go through all three. So maybe even if you have Matthew open in your lap, it would be helpful for you. First, the first temptation is tell the stones to become bread, the devil says. Jesus was tempted to tell the stones to become bread. That's in verse 2 through 4 of, uh, of Matthew chapter 4. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah. And the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. Now, by the way, and I have two by the ways on all three temptations before we even get to the temptation, because I want to throw some fun facts about how the devil attacks us in here. Are they really fun facts? But I'm going to throw the details at you. Here's a by the way that we get here before we even get into parsing what the temptation is and what Jesus' response is. Here's a by the way. The attack comes at your place of greatest vulnerability. Duh. You, the, the, the evil in the world is not going to focus itself on you where you're strong. There's no, there's no gain there. But the devil is smart enough to figure out where you are most vulnerable and will zero in on that place. That makes sense to you when you think about what your journey has been about? 
In this place, Jesus was hungry 40 days. He'd be in the desert. The devil just said, you know what? We could circumvent what God's trying to do here by turning these things into bread. You know how bread, good bread looks if you've been fasting for 40 days. This is the kind of thing that happens to us where we've got this baggage in our past. We've made agreements with things that are true, like I probably married the wrong person or my wife doesn't give me what it is that I need or, or you know, uh, there's never enough money to go around or whatever agreements that we've made. And this is our place of vulnerability. And we live in it and we live in fear and we live in concern over it. And then that's where the attack comes. I was thinking about my little car wreck today. And I thought to myself, what's that about? I got out, the woman was fine. My Suburban just did climbed right over the top of her Acura. It was awesome. <laughs> I win, big car. <laughs> I'm joking because it was just a fender bender. But, well, it wasn't a fender bender. My, benders, my fender's a little bent. But I backed up over the, the hood of her Acura, okay? But she was fine. Totally my fault. She was fine. So I can joke. But we get out of the car, and, uh, you know, we do the whole thing, and I'm realizing i got to be gracious because I was an idiot and all that kind of stuff. I'm driving down here, and I'm going, well, that's interesting because I made a joke last week about getting walloped this week because I was preaching on spiritual warfare, and a whole bunch of you guys prayed for me all week because you thought, that's a bummer because you're preaching it. It means you've got to learn it, which means the devil's going to attack you, and you're jacked. So everybody prayed. And largely, uh, I had a really, really great week, so I'm going to ask you to pray for me every week for the rest of your lives. <laughs> but then this happens this morning, and I'm like, oh, that is interesting. That's not a coincidence, right? So I'm driving down, and I'm like, what are you, so what, what is that, Lord? What is that about? And this is what struck me. <clears throat> when I put my car in drive and slid down off the hood of her car and pulled back into the parking space, and I could see that it was just, you know, and she's looking at me like, what? She was fine, you know, and I didn't hit the door. I knew everybody was fine. As I pulled into the spark parking space, the thought flashed in my mind, crap, how much is my deductible? <laughs> that was the place. Because just before I left, I pulled down the shades in our room and it fell down to the ground because that broke and now I got to get that fixed. And something happened in the backyard the other day and it didn't work anymore, Right? And all of a sudden, I realized my place of vulnerability is everything I have is falling apart. How much is this all going to cost? And if every shoe drops, what am I going to do? You with me on that? That's my little place. Somebody said to me, you always share illustrations about money because it's my place of vulnerability. I got plenty of money. Hashtag first world problems. I got plenty of money. <laughs> but it's my little thing, and I don't know what it's about, but it's a spiritual weakness. You hearing me? And my stuff comes in that moment. That's the place where it comes. The place of vulnerability is a place of attack. That's just, by the way, Jesus was hungry after 40 days trying to do God's will. And the devil goes, you know what? We'll shortcut the whole thing. I'll tell you what. Why don't you have some bread? Okay. Sorry, that was a by the way, and I preached too long on it. But thanks for letting me process my morning with you. That's helpful. <laughs> Here's the second by the way, and this by the way is the same on all three temptations. The attack will always suggest that God is not for you. Always. He is the accuser. That's what his name is. He will always accuse you of being a failure, and he will accuse God of not being faithful to you. Did you hear that? If you get nothing out of my morning, that may be, the, that may be worth the price of admission and free lemonade. 
He always will accuse you that you are a failure and God that he's not for you and that he's not good to get you to keep from worshiping Yahweh, from worshiping God. He'll always do that. And there's this little phrase in here that he says, if you're the son of God, turn this into bread. And it wasn't just a, if you're the son of God, like maybe tempting him to believe he wasn't the son of God. What it was about, it was he saying, it really means since you're the son of God. Jesus didn't doubt he was the son of God and the devil didn't doubt he was the son of God. So nobody was doubting he was the son of God. It wasn't about that. He was saying, since you're the son of God, don't you wonder what your father's doing? Look at the journey you're on. Have some bread, man. What is your, if you're his son, wouldn't your father treat you better than this journey of pain and suffering and sacrifice you're embarking on? You with me, church? God will always, I mean, I mean the enemy will always, this, this accusation, this attack will always suggest that God is not for us. Why would God let you suffer? And that goes way down into our, our souls. Now, let's go to the temptation. The temptation about telling the stones to become bread was basically this. Jesus was tempted. Look at the words. I know this is a lot of words. I want you to see this. Jesus was tempted to use his sonship, to use his relationship with God as an excuse to settle for something more self-centered than his God-ordained purpose. Now look at that again. Jesus was tempted to use his relationship with God to settle for something way more self-centered than his God-ordained purpose, namely to satisfy his hunger. Jesus was being tempted to say, you know what, God loves me. Don't I deserve to be happy? Why would I go on this journey of suffering? Why would God treat me this way? This is what Jesus' temptation is. I'm his son, and he's my father, and I deserve to be happy. And so why don't I bail on fasting and this preparation and this testing and reading that, and I'll bail on this spiritual journey that is ahead of me. I'm going to bail on that to do something way more self-centered than what God has called me to do. And we know that that's what Jesus' temptation was because you see it in his response. His response in verse 4 is, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's quoting, friends, Deuteronomy. Look at that text again. Remember how the Lord, Deuteronomy 8, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. I want you to see it up there. To humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, I'm sorry, I threw you guys off, the tech guys here. Uh, I, I wanted you to see this text again. Jesus quotes from this, this passage in Deuteronomy uh, three times, this same context, Deuteronomy 6 uh, through 8. And then look at this next verse, verse 3. He humbled you. He's talking about Israel. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. See the parallels? which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Look back at that verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. There's the testing. And then he fed you with manna, his provision, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. I love that. God tested, caused us to hunger. Where are you going to come through, God? He goes, I'm going to come through in this crazy, unique way. 
manna. Manna means, what is this in Hebrew? It does. That's what it means. And I'm going to give you my provision in my way after your hunger to teach you that it isn't about bread. It's about my provision. It's about my task. It's about my journey. It's about my will. It's about what I've got you on. That's what I'm trying to teach you. It's not about bread. And the attack is going to come to tempt you to say, God loves me. This journey ought to be about me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Our journey's not about bread. It's not about me. It's not about my happiness. It's not about my comfort. It is about the call of God on my life. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God, that's what I need. The temptation, shortcut it, make it about you. You're loved, there's grace, there's, it's beautiful. And Jesus' response was, the word says, and the word is in all of them. The Bible says, the truth that i got to remind myself says, what I really need is to make sure that I am in the middle of God's will. You need me and my unique provision in my journey that I'm calling you to and, in, and, and in, on the task that I'm giving you. That's what you need. You need my will. Jesus didn't ever shortcut his journey. Remember the dudes at the, the dudes, that's Hebrew too. The guys at the foot of the cross, the guys at the foot of the cross, when Jesus was hanging there at the end of his mission for us, for the whole world, that he would die for the sins of the whole world, guys looked up at the foot of the cross and said, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down, save yourself? Man, there's a temptation. I'll come right down. I'll save myself right across the backside of your, right? I mean that. But he would not be derailed from his mission to make it about him. Peter, they go to arrest Jesus a few days before that. Peter goes and hacks off a guy's ear with a sword. We're not going to let you take Jesus to the cross. And Jesus heals the guy's ear and says, hey, Peter, this is what God's got for me. Don't you think that I could call forth more than, what do you say, 12 legions of angels? We'll win this battle. I don't need to win the battle. I don't need you to kill this soldier. I got angels that can do that. In fact, there's an angel in the scripture that killed 185,000 guys, enemies of God, in one fell swoop. Isn't the Old Testament crazy? 12,000 legions, that's like 72,000 angels. They can kill 185,000. I did the math in my sermon prep. That's 13 billion people that the Lord could overtake if he wanted to. He said, I can call down 13 billion angels or whatever. But I'm going to go on the path that God's got for me. It's not about me. Remember Linda, yesterday, last, yesterday, last week, Linda shared during when she was leading worship that she woke up in the middle of the night. She told the Lord, man, I need some sleep. Remember this? I need some sleep. 
it's hard to get through the next day without sleep. And she said, I didn't expect a response, but the Lord said to me, you need me. Don't tell me what you need. I know what you need, and you need to be on my journey tomorrow, and you need me to get through my journey for you tomorrow because you don't know what's coming. So don't tell me that you need sleep when I know you got a much more epic day than that and you need more spiritual power than that. So you stay awake all night and you worship me to be prepared for what I have for you tomorrow. You do not need to sleep. You need me. You hear me? That is intense. Jesus' temptation was to say, God loves me. Let it be about my blessing and my comfort and my happiness. And Jesus' response was, it's not about me. It's about hearing God's voice and God's word and God's call and God's journey, and that's what I need. That's the first spiritual temptation. Get the, uh, make the, the, the rocks bread, fulfill my needs. Second temptation, verse five and six, is tell God to catch you. Tell God to catch you. And it's this thing where he takes him up to the highest point of the highest uh, building in the temple complex and he says, throw yourself down. And, you're, and then he quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 91. You throw yourself down and, and the angels, command the angel, God's going to command the angels and he's going to take care of you. You tell God to catch you. Jesus, this is how I'm phrasing this temptation. Jesus was tempted to demand that God show up. Jesus was tempted by the enemy to command that God would show up in a specific way at a specific time. Now I'm getting a little close to home for some of our walks with God. It was a temptation from the enemy. Some of our Christianity actually sounds like that's what we tell everybody to do. Claim the victory, live in faith, tell God what's up. Oh, that's what... But the, the enemy said, why don't you tell God to show up this way at this time? And that was a temptation for him. And Jesus' response is interesting. Jesus' response was, he said, no, the word says something else. You're telling me Psalm 91. Oh, did I not? I didn't tell you the by the way, did I? Is that what you were? Sorry, Jim. The by the ways. Let me go back on this temptation. Go back to the first by the way. Attack sometimes comes masquerading as light. The scripture, he, I mean, the enemy quoted scripture, so it looked good. Sometimes the attack is going to come. Can, can you find that for me, bro? I'm sorry. Sometimes the attack's going to come and it's going to look like light. It came like scripture, Psalm 91. The devil goes, hey, let me quote a, Let's have some Bible study, Jesus. Oh, Bible study. Awesome. Okay. I love the Bible. The Bible says that if you, uh, you know, that the angels will catch you and uphold you and wrap you in your arms and you'll not be hurt yourself. And so you can count on that. Sometimes the enemy is going to come with stuff that looks like light or even is light, but the outcome is always going to be contrary to, to the whole counsel of the word of God or it's going to be contrary to what we know is, I mean, it's going to lead us into sin. Whenever, no matter how light it looks, if it leads you into sin, it's from the enemy, friends. 
No matter how good it looks, if it leads you into sin, it's from the enemy. No matter how much people try to give you a spiritual justification for it, in the end, if it leads you into sin, it's from the enemy. You know why I know this? Because I was a youth pastor for 25 years, and people would come to me and say, I've never felt so happy in this relationship, and I just want to give myself. And I know we're not married, but I want to give myself to this person, and it's just so natural, and I, I, I want to, we're going to go ahead and consecrate this relationship. That's, I mean, sex, students. I mean, sex. It just feels so light, and, and God, by the miracle of this match.com, God put them in my lap. <laughs> and so it's from God, and it's beautiful, and it's light, and I've never been happier, and wouldn't my God want me to be happy? If it looks like light, but it leads you to sin, it's from the enemy. And the scripture says that the enemy masquerades sometimes as an angel of light. Don't get all freaked out about, oh, this is a good thing. Maybe it's the enemy. This is a good thing. Maybe it's the enemy. This is a good thing. Maybe it's the enemy. No, 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 no. If it looks like light, but it leads you to sin, it's the enemy. That's what I'm talking about. If you meet somebody on Match.com, and it's beautiful, and it doesn't lead you to sin, that's Jesus. Get married, man. (laughs) You, you, You hear what I'm saying? That's the first, by the way. The second, by the way, is the attack will always suggest that God is not for you. Did you hear me say that on the first point? Why don't you jump? God will catch you, the devil says. What does that do to you? Makes you think jump. What if he doesn't catch me? And the deep fear deep inside of us that maybe God is not for me, that little spark The flames are fanned. It always suggests that maybe God is not for us. And this little fear that maybe if I did jump, God wouldn't take care of me. I hate that fear. It's there again. Even though the whole temptation is inappropriate anyway, it always has this component that maybe God is not for us, that maybe he wouldn't catch us. And that maybe God is saying, jump. But then he would be distracted by somebody more important than you when you finally did jump. It's part of the temptation that's all mixed up in there. Those are the two, by the ways. And then I went into the temptation. I said, listen, the temptation is that Jesus would be tempted to demand that God show up in a specific way and at a specific time. This is how God would do it. But Jesus' response, Jesus' response is to say, you can't test the Lord your God. And this is how I phrased it. Jesus responds, the word says, Jesus says, the word says that threatening God isn't the way he set it up to work. You can't threaten God. You can't go threaten God. That's what Jesus meant by you. You can't put the Lord your God to the test. You can't threaten God to show up or else. This is how it's got to be, God. And the reason we know that that's what Jesus is saying is because he quotes Deuteronomy 16. Look at that with me. I mean, sorry, 6, 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. In other words, don't test him. Just be faithful and obedient and do what God has spoken already clearly to do. Do what is right and good, verse 18, in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may then go in and take over the good land that the Lord has promised as an oath to your ancestors. In other words, God's going to be faithful if you're faithful to be obedient and to follow him and to do what he said. But don't go past that test in him that he has to show up in a certain way in a certain time. Be 
you be faithful, then God's going to be faithful in how he decides he's going to be faithful. It said, don't, do, don't test God like you did at Massah. That's from Exodus 17. Look at that passage with me. This is just coming into the desert. The whole Israelite community set out. They're in their 40 years of wandering from the desert of sin. I just love that it's called the desert of sin. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses, give us water to drink. Now don't forget, they had already been traveling and were hungry, and they didn't have any food to eat. And they said, we got to have some food, God. We need some bread. And so he gave them bread, but he gave them weird bread. He gave them bread called, what's this, bread? (laughs) And now they're thirsty, and so give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me, and why do you put the Lord your God to the test? See it? And later, by the way, it clearly says he was angry with them. The Lord was angry for testing them like that. Why? Because he had already... When they needed bread, he provided bread, unique, crazy bread, in a different way than they even knew how to ask. But God said, I know you're need. I'm going to provide for you. Don't be demanding that I show up with the kind of bread you want to get. All right, you know what I'm talking about. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and, thirst and livestock die of thirst? Remember they had said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die of hunger? Now, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I going to do with these people? He's so Jewish. And they, they're, almost, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. <laughs> in other words, go take... Go show, all right, here's the God who's done miracles. That thing did crazy miracles. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb and strike the rock and people will come out, I'm sorry, and water will come out of it for people to drink. Once again, God's going, you demanding all this stuff from me? You want water? I'll give you water, but it's gonna be crazy water. It's gonna be, I provide in the way I wanna provide. I'm gonna take it out of a rock. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled, and because, don't miss it, because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? The testing was the threat. God, you, we needed bread, and you provided bread. Okay, but now we need some water, and you better give us water. And it made the Lord angry that they tested because their heart was, are you among us or not, God? You show up for us in this way, or we, we know you're not real. It was a bribery. It was a threat. It, it was the ultimate threat. You come through like this or I walk. God forbid that any of us would be tempted to live in that kind of a journey with God where we say, God, you come through. Right now, like this, I need this to happen or I'm gone. Jesus said, you don't test God like that. That's not how it works. God will provide for you as you are faithful to him in the way that he knows what's best. God said, don't tell me what to do. I know what's best for you. You're going to be on my journey to God knows where or you're going to demand that it goes just like you want it to or you're out. What kind of relationship is that? Some of us have this little bribery relationship with God, and many of us have been taken completely out by the enemy, out of a walk with God, out of a tenderness with God, out of a relationship with God, because we've said, you know what? I tried the God thing, and he hasn't shown up the way I wanted him to, and so 
I don't live for him anymore. I don't trust him. That's not how it works, my friends. This, this, this temptation thing, this, this is teaching me about how big God is. And what kind of love would that be when we get to threaten God and he asked to act that way? What kind of a love relationship would that be? The third spiritual attack, and I'm going to resume through it and we're going to be done. The third spiritual attack is bow down to the enemy. The temptation was to bow down to the enemy. Here's the, by the way, the attack always makes sin look so good. When you look at the passage, he took him to a highest mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. He said, I'm going to give you all of this if you just live for me. Worship me. Don't honor God. Honor the way I do things. Honor my world. I'll give it all to you. And the by the way, friends, is he always makes sin look so good. And anybody who has ever gone in and said, oh, free cocaine, that's awesome. How many of you know that's not free? It's not free. And the things that the enemy says, you come and you can have this and it's splendor and it's beautiful. And we go, man, that looks good. How many of you know when you follow him into that kind of stuff and you live in that kind of stuff and you walk away from what God has for you, it's not beautiful. It's bondage and slavery to sin. That's a by the way. The second by the way is the attack will always suggest that God is not for you. This is the enemy saying in here, you know you wonder if God is for you. I'll guarantee you can have what you want. I'll guarantee it. You can take this according to the rules of the kingdom of the world, or you can take your chances and wait for maybe God to come through for you. That's the temptation. That's in every temptation. You sure God's for you? Sure you want to go his way? Think he'll come through? You sure you want to wait for the right guy, girls? Could be a long wait. How long are you going to wait with God? Before you just take matters in your own hands. Grab the first guy that comes along. 25? 30? 35? You hear me, church? We're going to wait and trust that God's good, or are we just going to kind of take matters in our hands? And that's what it is. And the temptation was Jesus was tempted to gain all of the glory and all of the power and all of the splendor. He was going to be Lord of the world, essentially, listen, without the sacrifice and without the suffering and without the cost. He was being tempted to bypass the cross, which was his mission. It was his plan to rescue the whole world. But he could have the splendor of the world without any of the cost. He was going to take the world at its best. That's what the temptation was. And his response, of course, was, get away from me. There's one God and he's jealous for me. And my life is about serving only him. That's the text that he quotes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy uh, 6.13. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. And it goes down to say, for the Lord our God who is among you is a jealous God. And I know I've quoted for you before the definition of jealousy. Intolerant of rivalry and apprehensive of the loss of another's exclusive devotion. 
And Jesus said, I'm not going to worship you. I have one God, and he's jealous for me, and my primary mission is to serve him alone. That's dramatic. My friends, the enemy will look at us and say, let me show you the splendor of the world. You want that? You can go have that. You can do whatever you want to do. Or you can take your chances with God. Jesus looked at it and he said, I didn't come for the splendor of the world. I came for the sin and the brokenness of the world. And I will fulfill my mission. As I let you go this morning, well, worship team, come on up here. Listen, as I, and we'll, we'll spend the remaining moments that we have in, in worshiping and responding to the Lord. What's your mission? What's the calling on your life? What's the journey that God has for you? It's multifaceted. It isn't one thing. And, and, and the hearts wouldn't say their whole life is about child, uh, freeing ch- children in slavery. That's not their whole life. That's not the only thing they have in their life. Eric's desire is to be a father of integrity who raises kids who have hearts of gold. I mean, like there's, there's more to his life. He wants to have a marriage that's pure and intact and that his wife can trust him. And he, he wants to have a community and a business that honors and respects people and there's lots to our life, but what are those missions, friends, that when we get in the middle of it, we know the enemy's going to come and try to attack us and take us out of it. We have to learn to say in all three of these temptations, I have one God. My desire is to hear the words that come out of his mouth. He is jealous for me and I will serve him alone. What is the journey I am on? Get away from me, Satan. I'm going to settle the issue. I'm not going to shortcut it. I'm not going to take the easy way out. I'm not going to make it about me. I'm not going to just say I want the splendor and none of the cost. I'm all the way in. One God, one journey. Not going to shortcut it. When that happens, verse 11, the devil left him. Then the devil left him. That's how you fight spiritual battle. I'm settling the issue. And the devil's like, nothing here for me. And he left him. Can I give you the encouragement at the end of this? This battle is not something that you're destined to win some and lose most of them and it's miserable your whole life. Scriptures tell us these quick things, friends. Receive the word of the Lord. You, dear children, are from God. And you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It's not an even battle. You resist by the power of the Holy Spirit in you and the devil flees. And I quoted this last week, no temptation has taken you except what is common to all mankind. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are, he'll provide a way You'll be able to stand up under it. Victory is guaranteed in Christ. And last, you ready to even hear this one? You consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fail, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And when you persevere, you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. God is revealing and developing you in these trials. Lots more to be said. Lots more to learn about how the enemy works and about how to resist and how to fight. 
wanted to parse it, wanted you to see it, wanted you to dig into God's word. May God encourage you that the battle's already won through Christ. Let's stay on the one journey and serve our one God.